Let's pray together. O oh God, with the refrain of the battle hymn of the Reformation still ringing in our ears, we come to the moment when, with Holy Scripture upon our laps, we seek to know Your mind. We search after Your truth. Please, dear God, today, let it be clear. Hide every human voice so that in the stillness of this moment, the Spirit Himself might speak to our minds and our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a danger that we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, and I realize we have many, many, many Christians who are watching right now, but I'm thinking in particular of Seventh-day Adventist Christians. There is a danger that like the Jews, we will miss the compelling truth that Paul is articulating here in the book of Romans. Passionately articulating as he does. I suppose it's, it's an occupational hazard for the heart that already believes. For the heart that confesses, yep, I believe in Almighty God. I have no issues. I have no problems. Of course, I believe that salvation is by faith. Duh! And so we read through this mighty treatise on righteousness and salvation by faith. And we skip straight through it. All the while, amen, Paul, amen, amen, you go, Paul. But in the speed reading, we miss the careful logic that Paul is seeking to build here in Romans chapter 4. We miss it. This compelling point that Paul is championing. How do I know? I'll tell you why. Because of the unspoken tradition that too many of us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians have tacitly and sometimes even overtly espoused. Unless you keep the Seventh-day Sabbath, you will not be saved. And by that we mean, unless you are baptized and keep the Seventh-day Sabbath, you will not be saved. And by that we mean, unless you are baptized and keep the Seventh-day Sabbath and become a Seventh-day Adventist, you will not be saved. Which being interpreted means that once we tell you what we believe and you reject it, you are lost. Ever heard that before? Of course not. Nobody would dare articulate our unspoken tradition so bluntly. 
And yet, how many countless Seventh-day Adventist Christians sincerely believe that unless and until both the Christian and non-Christian world join us in the end, they will all be lost? Am I making this up? Hmm? Am I making this up? Have you ever felt that way yourself? Hmm? Open your Bible, please. To Romans chapter 4, once again. What we don't see at first glance, and especially when we speed read through Romans 4, in this single chapter, is Paul's careful delineation of three ways in which you are not saved. Not. N-O-T. Three ways in which you are not saved. I wish you would write these three ways down. Would you go to your worship bulletin right now, please, and pull out... Your study guide, brand new, fresh study guide for today. Pull it out. Thank you, ushers, for getting the study guides to those whose hands were so frozen when they came in, they could not even t- pick up a bulletin, and so you didn't get the study guide. Just hold your now warmed up hand, hold it up, and the ushers will get it to you. And those of you who are watching on television, I'd love for you to have this study guide and go through it with us right now. Go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch.tv That's our website, Pioneer Church, pmchurch.tv Click onto our series for the book of Romans. It's called Wine and Milk. This happens to be part 12. So click onto that title of this series. You'll see, Never Forget, God is Able. Click right there and you will instantly get, when you click on the study guide, you'll get the identical study guide that we are going to fill out together this morning. Three ways in which you are not saved. Write them down. Number one, you are not saved by works. Write it in, please. You are not saved by works. Ushers, keep going all the way to the back, please. Keep going all the way to the back. Hold your hand up. The usher will get to you. Number one, you are not saved by works. Look at Paul's making that point in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. That happened to be our teaching passage last week. So there's no need to go all the way through Romans 1, uh, Romans 4, rather, verses 1 through 8. Let me give you, let's just look at a handful, a handful of those verses together. Open your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 4. Some of you came and you were so, you were so rattled by the elements that you didn't bring your Bible. Good news, there's a Bible right in front of you in that pew rack. Take that Bible out. It's the same translation that I'll be using this morning, the New King James Version. Open your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 4. Let me give you a page number. If you want to get there quickly, it would be page 759. All right, go to Romans 4. Give me a moment to find it myself. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. And let's pick it up. Let's pick it up right here. In verse 2. Pick it up in verse 2. Just a, just a handful of verses. Romans 4, verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, there we go. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Can't boast, so can't do that before God. Uh, understood. And not justified by works. Going on in verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Genesis 15, 6. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed. Now, verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. It's your obligation. I get it. Ah, but one more verse. Verse 5. But to her, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, on God who justifies the ungodly, his faith, her faith is accounted for righteousness. Write it in, please. You will not, you will not be saved by your good behavior, your healthy lifestyle, 
or your applaudable morality. Three ways in which you are not saved. Romans 4, you can't miss it. Way number one, you are not saved by works. Way number two, you are not saved by circumcision. Write it in. Circumcision. All the women ought to be thankful for that one. Huh? But remember, look, we studied this. Those of you watching and you didn't get that study, go on to our website, click back a few studies. We studied this. The Jewish community, remember... This community that had all the truth and nothing but the truth believed that because of that inside track with God, they all, men and women, were saved. So, Paul takes on reason number two on how you're not saved. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 9. Romans 4, verse 9. Does this blessedness, does this salvation, does this pardon, does this acquittal, does God declaring not guilty as He did at Calvary... For the human race, does that, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Verse 10, well then how then, how did it happen? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Hold on, let let me have your eyes just for a moment. Genesis 15 right here, Abraham gets saved. Genesis 17 right here, Abraham gets circumcised. Question, do you have to be circumcised in order to be saved? No, which one comes first, 15 or 17? Help me out, quick. Which one comes first? Oh, you know, 15, of course. The saving precedes. That's Paul's point. It precedes. 15 precedes 17 in the book of Genesis. All right, keep reading. Verse 11, and he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And by the way, verse 12, that he might be the father of circumcision to those who not only are of circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still circumcised. Say, come on, Dwight. Pastor, please. Big, irrelevant. We're third millennials. What difference does it make for us? Ah, Paul's making a point. By the way, do you know that the New Testament teaches there is, there is a New Testament equivalent to Old Testament circumcision? Take a look at this. Go to the, I want you to see it in your own Bible. So don't read it on the screen. Find it in your Bible, please. Colossians. You'll need a page number for this one. Colossians, page 793. All right, just take a look at Colossians for a moment. Colossians chapter 2. Keep your finger in Romans 4. We'll be right back in a jiff. But take a look at Colossians chapter 2. There it is in verse 11. Colossians 2, 11. In Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Snip, 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 snip. Not that kind of circumcision. No, 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 no. In Christ, your circumcision comes without hands. By putting, how, are you, how, how did it happen? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By the way, Christ was circumcised for us all. How does it happen? Here it comes in verse 12. You were buried with Jesus in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the death. Write it in, please, in your study guide. Circumcision in the Old Testament equals baptism in the New Testament. Write it in, please. Baptism. Baptism now is the sign upon you that you are a member of the community of the chosen. By the way, aren't you glad you're baptized? But of course. And listen, if there's anybody here who has not been baptized and you would like to be baptized, you just see me afterwards. See me anytime next week. Just call. I want to help you get baptized. Come on, please. But, and here's the point, write it down. 
According to Romans 4, you are not saved by baptism. No, 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 no. You're not saved by baptism. Was it after Abraham was baptized in Genesis, Genesis 15? Or rather, was it after Abraham was baptized, the New Testament equivalent, in Genesis 17 that he got saved? No, it was before. He believed in Genesis 15, got, got saved in Genesis 15, got baptized in Genesis 17, if we can just mix up the metaphor a bit. You, you, did, I, did I follow that up or did you follow it? You, you pretty much got it? All right. Three ways in which you are not saved. Romans chapter 4, way number one, you are not saved by works. Way number two, you are not saved by circumcision. And now, way number three, you are not saved by keeping the law. Fill that in, please. Pick it up in verse 13. For the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Did it come through the law? No, 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 no. But through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. If it was from the law, why have faith at all? Verse 15, because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, punchline, verse 16, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Paul's third point is inescapable. Write it down, please. Keeping the law, including the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keeping the law, including the fourth commandment, will not, write it in, will not save you or me. I.e., getting the whole world, or at least your little world, to become a Sabbatarian like you will not ensure their salvation any more than it ensures your salvation. Why? Because Paul has just told us three ways in which we are not saved. Let's review, let, let, let's review these. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our baptism. And we are not saved by our keeping the law. Now look, oh, before you hurry back to your dormitory room and email your parents that something terrible has happened at Andrews, hold on now. Hold on. I know what you're thinking. Give me that cell phone quick, honey. Let me hasten to remind you that Paul practiced and preached, promoted and promulgated all three. He was baptized and he baptized others. He kept the seventh day Sabbath and he taught others to do the same. He practiced an abundance of good works and the second half of nearly every letter he wrote admonished his readers to do the same. Paul is hardly against good works adult baptism, or seventh-day Sabbath-keeping. What he is so passionately against is any unspoken tradition that would elevate any of these three as a prerequisite for receiving God's salvation. You can't do it. It's wrong. Unless you keep the seventh-day Sabbath, you will not be saved. Please. That can't be true now, can it? Since Paul has just declared that we are not saved by our keeping of the law. Of course we are to be, obey God's law. Of course God was leading Shane to discover the glorious truth that he's the creator of the universe and our recreator as well. And that's all through the Seventh-day Sabbath. It's just that the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath won't save you. Didn't save Shane, won't save you, won't save me. Well, unless you are baptized and keep the Seventh-day Sabbath, you'll not be saved. Psst, 
time out. How can that be true either? Paul has just said circumcision. It's not, you're not going to get saved by circumcision or baptism. Of course, repent and be baptized. Please, if you haven't been. It's not what will save you. Unless we are baptized and keep the seventh-day Sabbath and become seventh-day Adventists, we'll not be saved. How can that be true? How can that be true when Paul has clearly and carefully shown that God rejects meritorious good behavior and works as contributing an iota to his act of saving us? Then what does it mean? Write it down, please. Paul is not condemning good works, but he is unequivocally declaring that our salvation does not proceed. It does not proceed from them. Not from our obedience, not from our works. Not even from His law. How then shall we be saved? Oh, write it down. Paul is uncompromisingly clear. Write it down, please. Salvation is by faith alone. Write that down. Alone by faith in Jesus Christ. Alone. By the way, that was the great rallying cry of the mighty Reformation. Thank you, brass. A mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther composed that, you know. That was a rallying cry. Salvation is by faith alone. And on that October 31, precisely at noon, 1517, when Martin Luther stepped up to the wooden doors of the university church and nailed up his 95 theses, he did not know that he was igniting with that act the mighty conflagration that reformed the Christian church on earth. A mighty reformation. And by the way, how did they put it in Latin? They had two words. Write this in your study guide. The, the trumpet call of the Reformation. Two words. Sola fide. Which means by faith alone. Sola. You sing a solo. You're the only one. Only by faith alone. Write it in. Alone. And by the way, you need to know this. This is a little, little sidelight. Luther was so passionate about this clarion Bible teaching that he discovered in Holy Scripture. By the way, he was pastor and professor at the university where he taught. And so he lectured his way through the Psalms and then through the book of Romans. He was so passionate about this, re- this shining truth that Luther, when he, translated, when he translated the New Testament into German, added a word that was not in the Greek manuscript in front of him and it's not in our Greek manuscripts today. He went and stuck it in extra. I want you to take a look at it. Just turn one page back to Romans chapter 3. I'll show you where he added a word. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man, a woman, is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Paul is absolutely clear. You are not justified. You are not saved by keeping the Sabbath or any other Ten Commandment act of obedience. We are all saved. We are justified. We are declared, we are, we are declared acquitted and pardoned by faith. Now, Luther, when he wanted the German readers in the New Testament to come to that verse, he said, I've got to help you. I just want to make sure you get it. And by the way, he borrowed the tradition from one of the great church fathers, Origen, and other church fathers did the same. So he stuck the word in, and I'll show you where he did it. Right here in verse 28, Luther stuck it in this way. And, and write it down in your study guide, please. Luther said, a man is justified by faith alone. He, he scribbled in alone. So I put it in my Bible, I put Luther in the column, a little, little uh, arrow there, alone, justified alone apart from works <clears throat> by, the, by the other way. Luther didn't need to do this. He didn't have to do this. Romans 4 is making that very point. 
But he wanted to make sure that his German readers would not miss it. Write the point down again, please, in your study guide. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone, alone, alone. Keep writing in the words of John R.W. Stott. Justification is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. A century earlier than Stott, a woman named Ellen White makes the very same passionate point. And I want you to get it and you have to fill it out. When she wrote, there is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen men and women, woman, meriting anything by their own best good works. Write it in. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Write it in. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the truth. Of the everlasting gospel. And who is the God of the everlasting gospel? Take a look at this. You're going to oh, love this picture of God. Thank you, Paul. Let, let, let's, let's pick it up in verse 16. Therefore, Paul's writing, It is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed... Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. Keep going. Verse 17. As it is written, God speaking, I have made you a father of many nations. And Abraham, what did he do? He came to believe in the presence of him whom he believed. Now, keep reading verse 17. God, who is this God? He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Did you get that? You've got, you got to write this down. I'm going to make sure you get it. Write it down in your study guide, please. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. As though. Write it in. As though they did. You have just, you have just gazed upon one stupendous portrait of God. Some of you have been wondering, I need a new picture of God to put on my bulletin board back in the dormitory. I need a new picture of God to stick up with a magnet on the refrigerator door. You just found it. There it is. He is the God. He is the God who calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I remind you, he did that. He did that with childless Abraham and hopeless Sarah. In fact, I need to show you a word in the Greek in verse 16. You'd never catch it in English. Let me show this to you in the Greek. Go back to verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that, hold on now, so that the promise might be sure to all the sperm. I got your attention. Because that's the Greek word, sperma. Seed. We say seed in English. It's sperm. You see, that's just the problem. Something is not working with either Abraham's sperm or Sarah's egg because they can't get pregnant. And God knows it. But He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And so, shh, Abraham, Abraham, step over, Sarah. Come here. Get out of that tent. Look up there, Abraham. Count the stars. As many stars as you can count. I'll give you sperm. And here's the great wow. Abraham believed. Believed God. Take a look at this. Verse, verse 19. And not being weak in faith. Now, that's at this moment. 
Paul's being very generous here. Abraham was weak in faith before this moment. But now he's, he's a little stronger now. And not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. All right. Equal opportunity infertility. Okay? It's not about, it was your egg. You know, no, it's not about who's at fault. Both now. At this point, both are gone. <laughs> the reproductive system is pretty much shriveled up. All right? But Abraham, not being weak in the faith, look at this, verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And verse 21, being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. He believed. He believed. I love that moment, by the way. I love that moment when God personally comes to ratify this promise to Abraham. It was one of those blistering, dry, Canaan afternoons. Abraham is slowly fanning himself in the shade of that sprawling Bedouin tent. When suddenly he looks up and he spies three mantled strangers moving across the, the front 40 of his, of his land. Now, being the consummate, quintessential, nomadic gentleman that Abraham is, he gets up out of the shade. He comes running up to the three who are mantled. And he says, gentlemen, 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 I see you're just passing by. Listen, listen, you, you, look, you look a little weak. You look hungry. You've got to come in, come in. My wife will make a little, just a little, a little repast, a little snack. Come in, come in, come in. And he slowly leads the three to the front door of his tent. By the way, do not forget to entertain strangers, for therein some have unawares entertained angels. And not only angels, Abraham does not know, but he is about to feed the Almighty God Himself. Wow. I love the story. I love the dialogue. I don't want you to take it from me. I want you to read the dialogue for yourself. And so go back to Genesis chapter 18. That'd be page 11. Go back to the very beginning of your Bible. This is one great exchange of conversation. And God is in the circle. He's the mantled one, even more mantled than the others. It's the pre-incarnate Christ. The God who has always been able to transform himself into what he needs to to get, to, to get close to his creatures. He can be an archangel, and he's an angel of the Lord. He can be a man, and he's the man of Calvary. Same one, pre-incarnate. Okay, so Genesis. I love this. Genesis. Getting so excited here. I haven't even got back to Genesis 18 yet. Okay, Genesis 18. There we go. Okay, look at this. Isn't this great? Genesis 18, verse 8. So Abraham took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared. I want you to know that sometimes... Every God eats a high cholesterol diet. That's one day when God said, listen, he looked at the angels probably said, uh, don't worry about the uh, calories, guys. It's what he brought us. And that's <laughs> so. So he took butter and milk and the calf. Which he had prepared and he set it before the three mantled strangers. And he, Abraham, stood by them under the tree as they ate. And then they look up. From their eating. Attentive Abraham. Is there anything else I can get you? They look up. It says they. And they say to him, Where's Sarah? Well, they know her name. Where's Sarah? Abraham jerks his thumb back, back in the tent. And then notice the next verse. He. 
no longer they now. He, and in the New King James, recognizing the divinity of the mantled stranger, that he is capitalized. And he, verse 10, said to Abraham, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, in about nine months, in other words. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah, like a good wife, What are those guys talking about out there? Don't, don't make fun of her. She's curious. So she's, without making the tent bulge, she's as close to that tent wall as she can get. Beyond sight, nobody knows she's there. But she's listening. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, little... Uh, For those who don't know, who are reading their way through, a reminder, verse 11. And now, reader, please note, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Verse 12, therefore, behind the tent flap, Sarah laughed within herself. She didn't go, ha, ha. It was all, there was nothing. It's all inside. She snickers. And I love her, I love her language here. She says, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. It's not just my problem, it's his too. (laughs) I mean, that's the way our wives think. Hmm? And the Lord said, this is great. And the Lord says in verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah last saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? He heard. Abraham didn't hear a thing. She's laughing in her heart. The incarnate one, he hears. And here comes the line. Oh, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. Nine months. And Sarah shall have a son. But now Sarah comes out. This is great. I love this final exchange. Sarah comes out from behind the closed door. And she says, yes, I'm here. And the first thing, you know, she's so embarrassed. The first thing she says is... I didn't laugh. And the mantled stranger in the middle looked up at her and he said, You did too. (laughs) God isn't above getting into it with us. Don't try to kid me. I know you were back there laughing. End of conversation. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, this is the very point that Paul is hammering at in Romans chapter 4. Would you write it down, please? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18, 14. It is a powerful thread, the thread of omnipotent, almighty. That omnipotent thread is woven all the way through Scripture. Don't even look up. Keep your pen moving. Jeremiah 32, 17. There is nothing, nothing, nothing too hard for you, O God. Luke 1, 37. Repeat it. For with God, nothing, there it's repeated, nothing will be impossible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. The new living. Humanly speaking, it is impossible, Jesus said. But with God, everything is Possible. Write it in. Or as Paul has just declared in Romans 4.21, Abraham was convinced that what God had promised, write it in, what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Why? The God of the everlasting gospel is the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That's why. And by the way, if the story of Abraham and Sarah's dead bodies being brought back to life in the birth of little Isaac doesn't convince you, then be persuaded, Paul says, with the resurrection of another dead body, the dead body of Jesus Christ. 
And he ends his logic and argument with verses 24 and 25. Go back. Make sure you're back. I don't want you to miss the punchline to this entire chapter. Verse 24. Here we go. And Paul says, Let us believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Point, ladies and gentlemen, the God who stretched out His arms to an entire rebel race and gave His life for them and us on Calvary, thus justifying all the ungodly of the human race, the same God then proved that He is able to justify an entire race. He proved that He is able to save every man, woman, and child that dares to believe. He proved it by dying and then raising Himself Back to life again. If you've ever heard that done before, follow that God instead. Justification. What authority does God have to declare the entire human race acquitted? He said, I'll prove to you I have that ability. I will die. And then I will live again. Whoa. Handley moved. I made sure you had this sentence in your study guide. Dynamite. In the words of Mu, we sinned, therefore he suffered. We were justified, therefore he arose. The glorious fact that Jesus came forth from the grave was proof that God had indeed justified the entire race of ungodly sinners. And ladies and gentlemen, because that tomb is still empty today, we know for a surety, write it down, that there is nothing, nothing, nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. If He can die and raise Himself back up, can't you imagine little wimpy sinner like you and me, He would have the wherewithal to save us too. There's nothing too hard for Him. Not in your life, not in my life, not in this life. Some of you, by the way, right now, are going through a desperate crisis in your life. You are convinced that it's over, that there is no way for you to get beyond this terrible, terrible moment. I want you to focus your heart. Not just spiritually about being saved, but it's also a promise about surviving. Focus your heart. On the assurance, write it down, God is able. God is able. I don't care what it is you're going through right now. Our God is able. You know what? We sang it with the brass at the beginning. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is my health and salvation. He's almighty. God is able. God is able Somewhere in the Bible, does it not read, He is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God by Him. Hebrews 7.25 He is able. Therefore, let us trust the trustworthy. Why is He trustworthy? Because He has it all. I can do anything. I can do everything. God is able. And by the way, that's why... Salvation is by faith alone because it is bestowed by God alone. That's why. Look, look, if you're going to have faith in somebody for the journey ahead, then please at least have faith in the only somebody who is able to do the impossible 
and save ungodly sinners like you and me. Oh, God. Oh, Father, we forget, oh, so quickly and so soon, groveling in the dust of earth, pining and whining, when in fact all the time you are Almighty God. Nothing's changed. If you're the God who can give life to the dead and call that into existence which does not even exist, can you not also? Can you not also save us? Oh, Father, forgive us. We have placed our confidence in the wrong place. And now in Holy Scripture, we hear the reminding beckon of the Holy Spirit to come and place our faith, all of it, in Christ alone. Oh, Jesus, not only spiritually, but I want to pray now for every man, woman, young adult, teenager, child here. There are some right now, dear God, who are struggling. Please, would you whisper to her, would you assure him, you are able and you can. So let all of us, please, trust you every step of the way.